It's time for Done Being Single with your hosts, Trevor and Robbie Scharf. If you're dating the same type over and over again, making the same mistakes and not finding love, then you're not done being single. What you need is some tough love dating intervention, Trevor and Robbie style. Whether you're new to dating or have been dating forever, we've got you covered. Now, here are your hosts, Trevor and Robbie Sharp. We kiss and then... And then we get into it. Actually, we fight, then we kiss, and then we get to fight again. That's how it works. What a lovely thing. Well, that's done being single. In a nutshell. Sometimes... We fight, we kiss, we make up. Sometimes we're not done being single. Yes, you are. Okay, I am done being single. You're done. I'm done. done. I have no desire to be single anymore. I really don't. Thank you for that. I have no desire. Thank you, because for someone with, you know, an anxious... Attachment style. Although now that I'm reading the different varieties here, and then uh, I know a thing or two about attachment style, which or theory, which we will. This is the topic of the show. I'm thinking I'm I'm more I not so much anxious as I was avoidant and was avoidant. Was no okay. So for those of you who don't know what attachment theory is, um, it was proposed, I guess, developed by a British psychologist named John Bowlby. And it basically is, has everything to do with lasting psychological connectedness between human beings. In other words, how I know it to be is that we are all born and raised with certain um, styles of attachment. No, that's not true. We learn from our primary caregivers and our, and our guest Tracy Crosley is going to go way more into this than I can, but this is how I know it. So to this be. gets established like in our so, first year of of life. Yes, and that part. so the how you grew up seeing love and how love was demonstrated and modeled and shown to you is sort of how you go through life, and it's what we take with us into adu- our adult relationships. So it kind of informs those relationships. So depending on what kind of home you were raised in and what kind of parents you had. Um, if it was secure, if it was you know, stable, chances are you're going to grow up and have a secure attachment and, style. And, and this comes out so often in people that we know of our age, uh, and then we find out about how they were brought up. And it, you can directly connect the dots here to a specific attachment style yes. based on who their personality is today and who they are. And yes. It's, it's fascinating. So this was... Um, wow, a total eye-opener for me. And I only learned of this, I don't know, a few years ago, actually, when we started doing the show. And I was researching uh, everything having to do with dating and relationships and marriage and, you know, just the stuff that trips us up. Somehow I fell upon or tripped on upon attachment theory, which, again, blew my mind because it, it kind of explained everything for me in terms of just how I was raised and why I have the attachment style that I do. So, and you know what I'm talking about, because you knew my parents. Yes. So, you know, I, they had their issues, but because they... I, they were the best, they were lovely, wonderful people, 
but they had their own issues having to do with love and commitment and healthy, what I felt was healthy attachment, which they did not have, which then was, you know, kind of passed down Mm -hmm. to me. So I'm the beneficiary of all that fucked upness. No, I am the beneficiary. No, excuse me, you are. Okay, so so just to um, explain what this is. I did not have that upbringing. No, you were not raised by wolves. (laughs) Okay, so let's talk about the different (laughs) styles. Let's talk about the different styles of, of attachment. Okay. Okay. There's secure, which I'm going to read a little bit about. Can trust fairly easily, is attuned to emotions, can communicate, upsets direct, can communicate your upsets directly, leads with cooperative and flexible behavior in relationships. Okay. I'd say you hit all those. Anxious, has a nervous, has a sensitive nervous system. Struggles communicating needs directly, tends to act out when triggered, i.e. makes partner jealous. I don't, I don't think I'm that. No. Here's what I think I am. A little bit avoidant. And under avoidant, there's a subhead of, so there's two avoidance. There's avoidant dismissive and avoidant fearful. Okay. Avoidant dismissive, downplays importance of relationships, is usually extremely self-reliant. Yep. And can become uh, more vulnerable when there is a big crisis. Or even a small one. I think that is a little me. Mm-hmm. And then avoidant fearful, you're more dependent in, relation- in relationships than avoidant dismissive, strongly fears rejection, has low self-esteem, and has high anxiety in relationships. That's not so much me. No. Okay, so um, so we're going to get into this. Good. Because this is the shit. Right. When it comes to figuring out who you are, who you are in relationships, why you do what you do, how you date the way you date, how you love the way you love. I mean, it is right all killer, no filler. If you find out you're one, can you become another? That's what I'm going to ask, Tracy. Okay. And I do think, I think over time and with work, you can, you can change. I think some of this stuff is just so hardwired in, it's, it's going to be challenging but um, wow, you know, with some awareness, which is everything, just even being aware of these triggers that you have when you're a kid and, and that you bring them with you along kind of as baggage is, is so empowering because it can, it can help you change and be the style that you want. Shut up. Let the t- guests speak. Can you show our audience Where's, what you... We have a card. Bring on the guest. Okay. All right. All right. Can we do that? Yeah. All right. Tracy Crossley is a behavioral relationship expert, author, and podcast host who specializes in treating individuals with unhealthy life and relationship patterns. Tracy helps clients transform imposter syndrome, insecure attachment, negative belief systems, narcissistic damage, destructive self-talk, and more. Tracy's popular weekly mental health podcast, Overcome Insecure Attachment, offers listeners a different perspective when it comes to breaking the cycle of unhealthy behaviors that keep them repeating pain-inducing actions. Her book, Overcoming Insecure Attachment, Eight Proven Steps to Recognizing Anxious and Avoidant Attachment Styles and Building Healthier, Happier Relationships is out now. Damn, that's quite a bile. I wish we had time for Tracy to come on the show. Tracy, it was nice having you on the yeah, show. Tra- Bye-bye. Tra- <laughs> Tracy, come on board. Let's I get need, that. I need to Tracy. shorten that bio. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
Oh my God. That was great. Okay. Are you done? I am so oh done talking. All right. She's done being talking. All right. So Tracy. Hi, Tracy. Welcome back. Hi. Okay. Thank returning you. champ. Yes. Was on the show, I don't know how many years ago, maybe one of the first. Uh, as you can see, nothing's changed. We're just as ridiculous as we were. The <laughs> as we were the first days. Um, yeah, no, that's not true. We've learned a lot and grown a lot and been through a lot. And so we bring that. Tracy was on the show when we started, I think, and now and now she's back. That's great. Because I love her, and I love what she has to say about this, and this is, as you could hear, my new favorite is my cause celeb attachment theory. It explains everything. So, But you do better at this than I am. So go ahead, pick up where I left off. What is attachment theory? You explain it much better. I just, um, I think what I do is I explain it more in, um, I don't want to say it in simplistic terms. I just say, basically when you're born, you come, everybody comes into the world in the same way, right? We have a personality and then we have conditioning and our conditioning is basically we're either securely attached or insecurely attached. Um, I think there's variances in there, by the way, uh, when it was originally the theory, which was by John Bowlby, as you mentioned came about, um, it was about how babies attach. And Mary Ainsworth took it a step further and she's the one who helped start develop the styles. Like you can go crazy with all the different styles, but I bring it back to either anxious avoidant or anxious avoidant, because that's basically what they all drill down to. And I think that um, most people and not to burst anybody's bubble, but usually if you have an insecure attachment, your partner does as well. It's very rare that somebody is securely attached and would be with somebody who's insecurely attached because there really wouldn't be an interest um, because that would mean a lot of drama. So that means also that perhaps by the time you guys met, you had worked through a lot of your stuff and therefore, no, okay, never mind. Just <laughs> kidding. Some of your stuff, maybe? No? Yeah, you were. I'm still learning about stuff. You know, okay, I just have to interrupt for one second because one could make the argument that because he got married so late, 50, six, seven, seven, six, that he's an avoidant type. No. Probably. He presents, Probably. he presents as a secure type, but right? Am I who, being penalized because I didn't propose? I didn't find somebody that I wanted to marry But there is But there's is an that? avoidant, uh, you know, current running through that no so i would have scored more points if i had gotten a divorce in my past is that something that i don't know what say you tracy uh you know it's not necessarily that you would have a divorce in your past but normally people that have more of an avoidant tendency tend to be the people that seem very independent who seem to um i would say find a lot of their interests to be i don't want to say non-person related but non-relationship related um, you know, a lot of times avoidance, they will get close enough, but not close and remain close. So they tend to enter into relationships that look kind of like a yo-yo, uh, as far as intimacy goes, and they're always looking for the perfect partner. So, you know, and that can be elusive for a lot of people, unless all of a sudden, you know, you grow and you go, wait a minute, there must be something about me here. And you start to open yourself and you start to do things that are going to change that. And so when you change that paradigm, obviously you change the kind of relationships you enter into. Okay. Uh, how do you, how do you change? 
I'm jumping, uh-huh. I'm jumping ahead in my questions, but I'm so curious because um, I don't know what the prescription is. I can only tell you that once you, for me, had awareness of it, I was able to stay kind of mindful of my tendencies. Is that is that, is that all it takes? I mean, how much healing and repairing do you have? How far back do you have to go? You know, it's going to depend on you. And what I mean by that is like, for me, I was an anxious avoidant, right? So I could avoid relationships for long periods of time. I got divorced when I was 30 and I remained single for over 20 years. I had relationships that were short and I could get anxiously attached in those relationships, right? And so my whole thing was I had anxiety from the time I was a little kid. They didn't know back then. I mean, growing up in the 70s, it was like, um, you had a stomach ache before school. So they thought it was something physical. They didn't realize that it was attached to anxiety. So um, long story short, I never felt peace or I never felt okay. And I thought that was just the way everybody felt. And I, when I realized that wasn't true was sometime, you know, my late thirties, early forties, I went, okay, you know what, there's something going on here and I don't want to feel this way anymore. So my whole journey was about getting not just out of these attachment issues, because at the time I didn't know that was driving a lot of my behavior, but I wanted to have a sense of well-being. I didn't want to play coach with myself. I wanted these things to be second nature. And so like in my work and in my book, what I do is I help people to break the patterns permanently that create attachment issues. So first it takes a lot of awareness, of course, because you've got to be aware of the things you say, the things you do, right? How you feel, what you think, what's your intention. A lot of times those things don't all add up together. They go in different directions. It could be, I want a healthy relationship. And then I do something to sabotage it, right? So we do these things being unconscious to them. And what it takes is doing some deep emotional work because you developed a belief system, whether, you know, we're talking attachment issues or anything, you have a belief system. Like when you get out of bed, you believe there's a floor beneath your feet that you're going to land on, right? You don't think I'm going to get out of bed and fall. So that's a belief. And we have beliefs that run our life everywhere in everything we do. Even in talking, I believe as I talk, my voice is going to work, you know? Um, And so they're unconscious until you become aware of how they're running things. So your attachment issues feed into beliefs like I'm not enough, I'm not good enough, you know, whatever it happens to be. Um, And so you want to get to the emotions because emotions are what keep your beliefs in place because they keep the patterns in place. Because if you ever notice, you have an emotional motivation to do the things you do or say the things you say. So, yeah. Uh, in, in your treatment uh, with, with patients and clients, uh, is the first step acknowledgement of the attachment theory that they have? The, the first step is, the, you, you know, I mean, I get, you know, my thing is to get past like the label part because it's not necessarily that everybody has to fit into it. It's more, how is this dysfunctional in your life and causing you pain, right? So I want to know what their patterns are. And because I've been doing this for so long and talking to people, it's like, I pretty much can tell, okay, I know what this, you know, I know how this is working over here for this person. Right. And so we go for awareness, feelings to action. Okay. And we call it emotionally risky action. 
because if you don't take emotional and risky action, you, it's like saying to somebody, I'm going to go skydiving. Okay. Well, that's scary. You know, and I may have an emotional response to it, but how is that going to help me to live every day? How is that going to help me in my relationships? So your emotionally risky action is something where, and this happens a lot, especially with people with attachment issues, you're going to ask the questions you don't ask normally. You know, like when you're single, you don't ask any kind of questions of the other person because you're afraid they're going to think you're needy or they're going to think something's wrong with you or whatever. It's also saying things that are true about you, like sharing your crap, you know, not where you're putting it on somebody else. You're just saying, look, these are things I've been working on. I mean, if you've been in a relationship and gone through a breakup, you have crap. And so it's not, again, to pour it out and go, well, this is all my stuff and I hope you can help me fix it. That's not what you're doing. But what you want to do is you want to own it. You want to take responsibility for all your choices. My choices to have gone through crappy relationships, my choices to do the things I do, really hard stuff. It sounds easy when I'm saying it, but when people are in a situation where they have to take emotionally risky action, I have worked with people who are driven, are successful. And I will tell you that it doesn't matter because they're afraid to rock the boat. They're afraid they're going to be abandoned. You know, all of the things that relate back to why you have attachment issues in the first place. It, it seems like that's very empowering for somebody to be transparent about their own stuff and to come out and say to somebody that they may be uh, newly involved with that this is something that, you know, I'm working through. And I, I think that if, you know, if I was the person hearing that from somebody, I would be really res respectful and appreciative that they were sharing that with me uh, as much as I would feel empowered if I was the one offering that about myself. So I think that's uh, really important. Yeah, I do too. And it also means that you put yourself in situations you normally wouldn't put yourself in, but that you want to be in. And that is hard for most people because we hear the one voice that's sort of always in the background you know, saying like the right thing for you to do. And yet we listen to the jerk in our head a lot of the time, you know, that inner critic who's, who's making us do things in the same way we've always done them. And you want to break those patterns because they feel heavy. They're tiring. They make you resistant to basically living. And so to me, it's all about getting to that deeper place, breaking through those emotional barriers, you know, in the moment. And that's what we do. It's like, I, I have something that's called the method. And with the method, it's like you go in, you go deeper, and it's sort of like certain things line up simultaneously to create this change. And then you never, it's like, I don't have half the patterns that I used to have when it comes to my behavior, especially in my relationship I have now. To have the uh, awareness and the information is the first step, just knowing that, okay, there's a reason for this. Uh, there's actual science and there's data and research. And that was really uh, powerful for me when I first learned about this. And also just the having the ability to stop and breathe and take a breath and not have those buttons pushed, refusing to allow yourself to get those buttons pushed is really a lot of it because there's so much in life that triggers us and and love is scary it can be yeah. really whoa it makes you vulnerable especially i mean at all times during it even in marriage 
okay? Sometimes I get, you know, those buttons still, still get pushed. But in the beginning, when you're dating, holy shit, that is like uh, death defying sometimes, like holding your breath and um, there's so much um, fear and um, anxiety. And now there's all of these dating terms like, I mean, I just read two more today, cockroaching and... Um, Oh shit! I mean, there's there's a new dating term every five minutes. Uh, what was the other one? I oh, don't. No, what am I asking you for? Um, because you weren't reading it. Anyway, oh. so so in particular, breadcrumbing. Okay. Right. Breadcrumbing. What's cockroaching? I think when you sleep around a lot, or when the person you're dating is having sex with multiple people, and you know it, or you're few. And you're accepting of it, or. Yeah, something okay. like that. Anyway. It's disgusting visual, isn't it? Not pleasant. Okay, so so uh, breadcrumbing. You know, we all know it. Explain breadcrumbing, Tracy. So breadcrumbing is basically, I would I would call it the anxious avoidant trap in a sense. So you have somebody go on a date, and you're like, oh my god, they're so great, and you think they're thinking the same thing, right? And maybe they are, and you go on a few dates, or maybe you start to get into a relationship. And then all of a sudden, they stop talking to you as often. They stop seeing you as often. Or this could, like, it could be after the first date, it could happen where you're thinking, wait a minute, everything was so great. It was so wonderful. What happened? And this person's like, oh, nothing's wrong. Everything's great. And yet their actions are showing they're showing up less. And then maybe they just disappear altogether. And you're like, oh my God, what happened? You're telling all your friends, I can't believe it. What happened? And then this person shows back up. And they've given you just enough breadcrumbs mm -hmm. so that you're interested still. And you're thinking, oh, well, maybe they really are my soulmate. Maybe this is really going to work out. And so, you you know, you're basically building a piece of toast with all your breadcrumbs. You're not even getting a loaf. You're getting a piece of toast. And you're saying, oh, my God, I want this piece of toast, which, again, this person will probably leave you with more breadcrumbs and come back and forth and back and forth. And you'll just keep feeding yourself on the breadcrumbs. And yeah. that becomes satisfying to you because you're being deconditioned from this person and then you crave those breadcrumbs after a while, those little breadcrumbs. Mm -hmm. And it also just feeds into how, how it was when you were a kid. I mean, inconsistency. Yeah. Like if love was, was inconsistent, chances are you're familiar with that dynamic and so it's something you can deal with. So one of the things I was going to say is that's your conditioning you know, deep down inside, we all want to be loved and feel love all the time, right? Nobody wants to feel like they're not lovable. And the thing is, like how you were saying, you know, inconsistencies. Like for me, you know, my dad came from Germany. My dad uh, was in a concentration camp briefly and like whole story, right? Whole shit show childhood. So what does he actually have to offer emotionally in a relationship as a parent? almost nothing. So, you know, you have that. And then, you know, my mom, it's a whole other story. And, you know, basically you're talking about like her parents divorced in the fifties, whose parents divorced in the fifties, right. nobody. So, you know, you had these two people who could not offer any kind of consistency to me. And therefore I would go to more of an avoidancy unless somebody gave me attention. And then I would be anxious because I'd want more of it. Cause that would be the natural oh my God, love or, you know, attention. And I was not ever getting that. Makes sense. Is your father still with us? 
No, he died uh, in 2020. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yes. It's been mine. Yeah. Sorry. Mine last sorry year. about that. Yeah. And, you know, it, it, I had all kinds of attachment stuff with him. Mm-hmm. And and I knew it at the time, and uh, I didn't know what it was, though. You know, you're a kid. You just don't know what – this is what I'm saying, that this is like the brilliance of having this information now it gives meaning to it, right? So you, right. you think, oh, I wasn't crazy. And then since he's gone, um, wow, what an opportunity to heal, first of all. First of all, what, what an opportunity to examine and and understand and and then ultimately heal. But you right. don't you don't get to deal. You don't get to you know, Not with him. I mean, right. no, it's that's, unfinished. That's it's unfinished. It is un it, but yeah, that's, that's okay. That's, that's ultimately that's my that's anybody's yeah. work to do. You can't change your childhood. You know, my dad was very intelligent, like extremely intelligent. And we had a meeting, oh uh, god, like 6 7 years before he died. And basically I'm like, I don't really know you and I don't think you really know me. And I wanted to establish some kind of something. What was really interesting, my dad's like, you know, I love you, but I'm emotionally unavailable. You can literally use those words. You know, I can't go there. I never can go there. Yeah. I, you know, my dad too, when I would ask my father about his past Mm -hmm. and his childhood and give me some information and who was there and who he had such a horrible childhood. He never wanted to talk about it. It was just too painful. Mm-hmm. But was that with you, Tracy, was that something that his childhood affected his relationship with you, that he couldn't talk about that, but he could talk about the relationship he had with you, but he couldn't do it without tying it to his own upbringing, right? You know, pretty much. I mean, he would tell me like little stories like that time because like literally he was saved and how his mom spoke German. He'd never. It's such a long story. Like my dad was born out of wedlock on top of it all. So it was like this whole shit show story. And he was saying as a kid, he remembers feeling insecure. He's like, I was very insecure because he had no stability whatsoever. You know, my great grandparents were who raised him and they ended up in Auschwitz and dead. Yeah. um, yeah. Trauma. Phenomenal. Yeah. Trauma has everything to do with everything. I mean, that's the root cause of attachment right there. How do we change? How do we get over that? to a point where we can live a normal or quote unquote normal life. You know, there's so many in my method. Okay. Just to go to that, um, you know, was starting with awareness, right? Because you have to be aware of how you're acting and what is motivating it. So one of the motivators is either going to be intrinsic or extrinsic. A lot of times when you have attachment issues, you're in extrinsic motivation, which means I need validation. I operate off of reward and punishment. I'm not really doing things for the joy of it. That's intrinsic motivation. And I will put aside things that are intrinsically motivating for the extrinsic motivation. And so when you start to realize that you go, okay, what if I do this? What if I keep doing whatever it is I'm enjoying? Right. And I don't put it aside to get the validation or the reward. It's going to feel weird, but I can handle those feelings, right? I got to connect to the feelings. Like my dad, as an example, your dad, probably never could connect below the head. They were all up here and it was like, oh, I got to connect to my feelings. What are my feelings, right? Which were very reactive. Right, right. And those don't those don't tell you no. what's actually being motivated. It's still a reaction. 
you have to get below that to what is really operating inside of you. Mm -hmm. And then the more you connect to yourself internally, you start to build value because the one thing you're doing that you haven't done, you're giving yourself attention, you know, and that's something people don't think about because they're looking for attention from someone else and it has to start with you. Right. Yeah. That's really important that I, I feel for your father. I feel for your father, uh, who, couldn't share so much of themselves with you both it seems and, like and it, it's it's a cleansing when you do and they could and they went through their lives without ever really doing that it seems and it's so sad uh, to but what that. what's interesting is that you almost didn't have to hear the stories or or know because you like I was saying it was reactive so I kind of got everything I needed to know just by the way he reacted to things and and how he processed things emotionally, how he expressed himself emotionally. It was like, I don't know what happened to you when you were a kid, but it was bad. Yeah. And, and it informed the way he loved. And, and without going into, this is a whole other episode with you know divorce and my mom and the post-divorce and the trauma, the trauma that was created, you know, it was just a, a shit show, as you know. But let's talk about imposter syndrome. Because... Mm -hmm. I found that kind of affected me a little bit when I got married. And I'm so curious about, I mean, so much, you know, doing this podcast, I have to tell you, as you know, you are a podcaster. It does, uh, it, you do research, right? And you read and you learn all of these new cool things and it makes so much sense and it's just so mind-blowing. And I just, imposter syndrome, I along with, you've never heard of it? I don't uh, know what that is. Along with adjustment uh, syndrome. Okay, I'll let you speak. I'm sorry. See, I can go on and See, on. There you go. No, this is great. I mean, you can talk about this stuff forever because it's just, there's so much, you know, breath to it. But I would say when it comes to imposter syndrome, so that's basically, to me, it's part of attachment because what happens is you are rejecting the real self. You're rejecting this person because as a kid, what are you receiving as you, right? A lot of us aren't getting positive feedback. We're getting negative feedback or no feedback, right? We're ignored. And so we develop ways of being that get us attention. So let's say that you get straight A's and now you become the, you know, scholar, right? But maybe you're not really that person. And so we projected out this image to the world of who we really aren't deep down inside because we're so afraid of who this is inside that we just keep projecting this image out here. And that becomes, you, you feel like an imposter. And so you cannot let people get close to you because they might find out who you really are. And of course, that's a bad thing. Going back to childhood and that imprint, it's like you feel like, oh, okay, I can't, I can't let this person know this about me. I can't let them see this. So I'm going to keep creating distance so that I don't have that worry. I don't have to, you know, and especially when it comes to work and relationships. Yeah, it would be like getting a big job, right, or a promotion or something, and then you go, "Oh my God, I'm this is not happening. I'm a this is a fluke, or this is right. I'm a fake. I'm a, mm -hmm. an imposter." Well, no, you're not. It's actually happening, and you deserve it, and you're worthy of it. That's the positive side, right? I, I see. I I hear the negative more than of being afraid of not fulfilling that type of a position. You're not deserving of it, and your your imposter. Uh, that has come out has been the, the dominant 
person with the dominant personality within you and you're you're not worthy of of what of accolades that may be thrown upon you and you're afraid of that getting caught so right. yeah yeah interesting two yeah. sides of that story yeah well right so you see it as that i see it as oh my god there must be a mistake right yeah, that's really like what someone you know gave me give you a promotion or you got a a raise or you got this big job or you got married or you something that right. that you know um confirms that yeah you did you're great you're lovable you're smart you're talented yeah you got right. this and then there's that thing you do to yourself like oh no no this there was a terrible mistake made here i don't i think so i mean if you look you know back at how you see yourself right like for me I was always wrong or I was always bad. So I always figured somebody's going to figure that out. Right. So I was a perfectionist. I was a people pleaser. I was doing all these things. So nobody would ever figure out how wrong or bad I was, which they would end up like, it would always explode. It would always, you know, sooner or later, something would be really dramatic. And then I'd be like, well, but I'm not really this jerk, but I'm looking like this jerk. So you don't really save yourself in the end either. Well, I love, I love this. Isn't it good yeah, stuff? It's, it's, it's good. It's, it's just, really good. It's so um, telling because so much of, you know, our interactions with many of our friends that are single and trying to figure things out really stem from their upbringing. Yeah, and I can't. I... It's, and it seems like it happens within the first year and then it's, it's baked, you know, and either you deal with it and get over it or you never deal with it and you are constantly having to oh push it off to the side or I don't as, know as as friends both of us two people who as Robbie's saying I think suffer from unresolved or or unacknowledged attachment issues and as a coach I see it every day in my practice all day long I see it and the first things I say to friends or clients is buy the book attached I can't remember it's there's it's called attached and then there's a, a subhead to it or just google attachment theory and get yourself up to speed on what it is and it, it will so answer so many questions about why you are who you are I find it just fascinating and Tracy tell us do you have a new book out I have overcoming. I just moved, so I'm like, okay. I have, but I have the book up. Great. Yes, overcoming insecure it. attachment. So, and it takes a deep dive into what I talk about. It also, I feel, is kind of a manual. So, if somebody wanted to go through the process of actually getting out of these patterns permanently, they could buy that, and it would help them to do that. And where can you get that? You can get it at any bookseller, uh, online or whatever. I mean, from Amazon to Target to. Excellent. Uh, Barnes and Noble, all of them. Okay. I'm going to amend my required reading for my clients, and I'm going to recommend Tracy Crosley's new book, Overcoming Insecure Attachment, Eight Proven Steps to Recognizing Anxious and Avoidant Attachment Styles and Building Healthier, Happier Relationships. Well done. Okay? Yeah. That's required that. reading. Tell us where people can find you too online. Um, they can go to tracycrosley.com. Or they can Google me too, um, you know, like, but social media, you can find me anywhere just putting Tracy Crossley in and you'll find me. 
Excellent. Okay. And if you want to find us, uh, where do they find us? Uh, they know where. You can find us wherever com. you get your podcasts. I don't know. That's okay. Apple, Spotify, Google. Go to our website. We post them. And if you want to find me, you can find me at trevabrandonsharf.com and learn more about me and my coaching services and everything else. Great. Okay. Tracy, thank you so much. Really great. Wish we had more time, but we'll get you back on. Thank oh, you. Yeah. And thank you for having me. I've really enjoyed this. Thank you. I'm Shadow Stevens with my friends, Trevor and Robbie. See you next week on Done Being Single.